We're in chapter 25 of Acts. So Paul's in house arrest. Well, it just happens to be on the beach at the Mediterranean in Caesarea. And he can have his friends there. And they're ministering to him. And I'm thinking he's probably having some Bible studies and different things going on. Governor Felix, he keeps him there. If you grab that next slide. And he's hoping, if I can get a bribe, I'll let this guy go because I know he's innocent. Remember the... The commander said he was innocent. There's nothing about him that's breaking the laws of Rome. There's just this religious thing that's going on. And the uptight religious Jews are more uptight than ever at this guy. But a bribe would set him free. Paul's fate is now in the hands of a new governor. A new guy comes on the scene. Let's meet him. Acts 25 Verse 1, now when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he comes up from Caesarea. So he's leaving and he's going to Jerusalem because Jerusalem was the capital of the people that he was the governor over of Judea. So Festus was the 11th Roman governor of Judea. He ruled the region from 59 A.D. to 62 A.D., Festus took over. He was 70 years old at the time he took over, a young guy. And in a few years, we've, we learned that he was going to pass away. He was going to die while he was actually in office as governor. So the words that Paul is going to be sharing with him probably are a whole lot more important than he even realizes at this time. And we know earlier in life that Festus actually co-starred in the television series Gunsmoke. Now, if you're not old enough and haven't seen that series, sorry about that. I just, well, anyway. Verse 2, let's move on. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him. I mean, these guys are really relentless. They're asking a favor of him. There's new guys. We couldn't get anywhere with the old guy. The old governor will petition Festus. We're going to ask a favor of him. He's our governor. He needs to satisfy our needs. And they would summon him. We're going to summon this Paul to Jerusalem. Why? Because They are going to lay in wait to ambush him along the road, and they're going to take him out. So, 40 men, remember, have taken a vow not to eat until Paul's dead. They're getting pretty skinny by now. It's been two years. What what you notice here is they don't take another vow. (laughs) They're just going to, we're just going to make a pact, and we're going to take this guy out, whatever, whatever it takes. Now, history tells us that there's been two high priests since the time that Paul has been uh, in captivity. Uh, 
the old man, Ananias, he's dead. He was replaced by Jonathan, and the former governor, Felix, murdered him. And now Ishmael is in power. But it doesn't really matter who the high priest is. The priests, the high priest, the people of Jerusalem that are worshiping the Lord according to the temple and the old law. They hate Paul. They hate Jesus. They, they're amping up the political pressure to get at him. They hate this ringleader of what they call the sect of the Nazarenes. They wanted Paul dead. But, verse 4, Festus answered that, hey, Paul's a Roman citizen. He should be kept at Caesarea. And that he himself was going to be there shortly. I'll be back in Caesarea. And therefore, if you have something against him, let those who have authority among you come to Caesarea with me and accuse him there to see if there's any fault in him. Festus for sure smelled a rat. <laughs> Paul's file was probably opened. He probably read the letter from the commander and realized that they, he's in Caesarea because they had planned an assassination plot. He says, not under my watch, you're not going to take out this Roman citizen. Verse 6, and when he had remained among them uh, more than ten days, so now he takes off, he goes down to Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, boy, they didn't waste any time coming. He commanded Paul to be brought. Verse 7, and when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about, and laid many serious complaints against Paul. But get this, which they could not prove. If you want to take some notes, note number one. So here's Paul's enemies. They've traveled this 65 miles to state their case against Paul. They had all these serious complaints, but what did they not have? They did not have any proof, but there's still no proof. Verse 8, and while he answered for himself, Paul's acting in his own defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. So Paul's answer, you can see these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders talk about sucking lemons they're just crazy upset at Paul. They're firing back. <clears throat> we need to try him in Jerusalem or we can get a fair trial. And we can bring those to be witnesses and witness against him. You know we can't get a fair trial here. <clears throat> the only way we're going to get a fair trial is if we let the Jewish people have their say in their courtroom, not in this palace. We demand that you bring this man <clears throat> to Jerusalem. So Festus, whew, these guys are crazy. Ah, verse 9, Festus wanting to do the Jews a favor is just another political thing that's going on. He answered Paul and he said, so, hey, this kind of makes sense to me. 
Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged, fairly judged, and I'll, I'll be in charge of it. <clears throat> You'll be before me concerning these things. You know, Festus might even have thought, yeah, maybe that's the way we can finally end all of this. We can get a fair hearing for Paul. But Paul knew better, didn't he? He knew that if he allowed Festus to take him back to Jerusalem, he would never leave there alive. It was a death sentence for him. The priest would find a way to kill him, whatever it would take. He would never make it out of there. So Paul throws down the trump card that he has in his hand. He's a Roman, and he knows his rights as a Roman citizen, and he appeals his rights as a Roman citizen. So Paul said, verse 10, So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For I am, for if I am an offender, if I have done anything wrong, if I have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, and I like what Paul says here, I don't care who you might think you are, no one can deliver me to them. Period. Stop for a second right there. So Paul's disgusted with the legal maneuvering, the political hypocrisy, this request for a fair trial in Jerusalem. I'm not going back. I'm a citizen of Rome. And no one can do that to me. So he stands on his literally political rights as a citizen of Rome against Governor Festus, who says, come on, Paul, this will work out. No, you're not. I'm not going to allow you to do that to me. It was a right of a Roman citizen who felt there's no way he could get a fair trial to appeal to Caesar. Caesar's court was the highest in the land. If he needed to, that's where he would go to get justice. So Paul's a citizen of an earthly kingdom, and he's standing up for his rights. He's also a citizen of a heavenly kingdom that we'll talk about in a little bit. Look at your notes, number two. Paul's example is that we as Christians, we have dual citizenship. We have a wonderful country. We're citizens of an incredible country. We're also citizens of an incredible kingdom that lasts forever. Encourage us to vote, run for office, get involved in this wonderful country of ours as the Lord leads. Franklin Graham, I love what he had to say and how he encouraged believers. We need to get Christians to run for office. And there are some folks in our fellowship that have done just that. And oh, how I appreciate the positions that they hold and the their stance for the Lord in those positions. NBC News 2016, he said this, My father said in 52, I think it's the duty of every individual Christian at election time to study the issues and the candidates and then go to the polls and vote. 
Of course, you probably know if you've been around here for any time where my heart is and how my heart goes out to our, our schools and our young people and our children and how it is so important for us to be involved just as much as possible. I think of some laws that are on the books. One is called equal access. I think of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and the times that we could meet on the campus after school and that our government, our citizenship, makes that possible. There's another law in the books that maybe we don't even know about as Christians. It's uh, California law allows school boards to adopt a policy permitting the release of students to receive moral and religious instructions at their respective places of worship or at other suitable place or places away from school property. Students can be excused to attend release time during the school hour for up to four days per month. Isn't that an interesting law that's on the books? Have we as believers asked our school boards to consider that? Are, are, are we willing to go the extra mile to minister to our kids? Oh, there's so much more that we could be doing. We have great influence um, running for school board. Oh, how I appreciate those on our school boards that stand for what they know is good and best for our kids. Voting, supporting, campaigning, running for office, as the Lord leads, get involved. Get involved. Ask the Lord what he would have you to do. But as I thought about this, I also realized the times that I have regretted in my life are times when I've kind of gotten my eyes off the Lord and I've gotten too concerned about political things or citizenship matters or what's going on in this country and oh, how my heart aches, and I, I've, it's kind of gotten my eyes off of what's most important. And oh, we need to be so careful that that doesn't happen. And number three in your notes, remember this, oh, remember this. Our most important allegiance is to our heavenly homeland. And I love these verses in Hebrews 11. And these are some of the verses that helped me get kind of back on target where I needed to be with Jesus as my main focus. Look at these verses as I read them. Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. Even when he, Abraham, reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. God has put us in Willows, God has put us in Orland, God has put us in Glen County or wherever he has put us. And we're to be men and women of faith. We're to walk by faith. We're to keep our eyes on Jesus and not get distracted. For he was like a foreigner living in tents and so did Isaac and Jacob who inherited the same promise. What's the promise? 
God's going to give a land and the land is going to be the place that he sets up for a historical proof that God is alive and well and he sends his son and he comes as a Jew and the scene is set and at just the right time in history because the promise was made and God kept his promise, Jesus comes on the scene. You see, it's all about him. So, all these people, verse 13, agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And 14, obviously people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. They were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. And that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We have dual citizenship. What's the most important? The eternal. What do we live for while we're here as citizens in this country? Well, we actually live for Jesus. We live by faith. And we ask him, Lord, how would you want me to be involved? There was a time in my life that I prayed with all my heart, Lord, I want to stay and I want to keep being a teacher in the public schools. I want to be a coach. I love working with these kids. I love the opportunity that this gives me. And there were some coaches in my life. I hadn't met Coach Moore yet, but Coach Embry is one of the reasons in Escondido that I gave my heart to Jesus and how he would reach out. He would open his home and he'd reach out to these young men and women on campus. And they came to know Jesus through him. And I go, that's what I want to do with my life. But the Lord said, no. He says, I want you to be a coach in my church. Okay, Lord, but that team is going to look weird. (laughs) It's just not the same. And he says, oh, trust me in this. And in doing that, he brought me to Willows the first time. This has been the most incredible time of my life. In Willows the first time and now in Willows for the last 25 or so years. Being a coach. Encouraging God's people to get in the ball game. Fall in love with the Lord. Be everything he's called you to be. And how do we do that? Well, I think number four in your notes. Every follower of Jesus You know, first of all, we're called to pray for our earthly homeland. The captives from Judah that were hauled away by an incredibly pagan nation, Babylon, this is what the prophet told them. Jeremiah 29, 7 and 11. And it's not far from where we're at these days. Seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. And then I love this verse 11. And this is the Lord's heart for his people. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. So did everything always go really well when, when they were praying for the peace of this pagan land? No. 
I think of three guys in particular, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. The king says, bow down and worship this statue that stands for me. And they go, we can't. We just can't do that. They were like Peter and the apostles who, who told them, we've got to obey God rather than men. And they prayed. And they went through the trial. And it was a trial of fire. And you remember who met them in the midst of that trial? The king, Nebuchadnezzar, he looks, he looks at the fire and he goes, didn't we just throw three guys in there? Yeah, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. There's a fourth guy in there. And he looks like the son of God. Guess what? He was. <laughs> he was. And when we go through tough times, guess who joins us in those tough times? Jesus. But you've got to be involved with the Lord where he has you and <clears throat> willing to live by faith and to stand for what's right, but to do it in the most gracious way as we possibly can because we're not here just to win an earthly battle. We're here to win a heavenly battle that changes men's hearts and lives, women's hearts and lives, youth, children's hearts and lives for eternity. It doesn't help just to, to get a law in the books that, that lasts for a few years. What we want is something that lasts forever. We want Jesus Christ to be right in the center of our lives, our families, our schools, our churches, our community, we want whatever it takes for Jesus to have his way. Yeah, but, Pastor, it doesn't look like that's what's happening. Hey, we're not in any different boat than the early Christians were in. They lived in a pagan world. They lived in a pagan society. There was all kinds of pagan stuff going on. There, even their laws allowed it and, and pushed it. But when they stood up for Jesus, they shined bright in that time. When we stand up for Jesus and his love and the hope and the future that he brings, it causes people to take a look. And they go, wow, I am so fed up with all that's going around me. Jesus sure looks good. And he does. And he is. And the more you know him... <clears throat> the more you want to be a part of what he's doing and the eternity that he's going to bring someday. Well, enough. Here we go. Verse 12. <clears throat> then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, it says, you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you shall go. And Paul just laid down the gauntlet and he says, I appeal to Caesar. No one can make me do or go anywhere politically. I'm a citizen of Rome, and I appeal to Caesar. Verse 12, Then Festus, when he had conferred, Okay, to Caesar you go. But Festus is in a tough spot. Let's think about what's happened to him. The greed and the corruption of the guy before him he, he was going to let Paul go with a bribe. It's coming down on his head now. And, and Caesar 
when I, if I send this guy to Caesar, he's going to find out that there's no valid reason that, I, that a Roman citizen has been kept in chains for two years now. He's kind of going into political panic mode. To Caesar you shall go, but after some days, Paul hasn't moved an inch. I'm thinking that he is scrambling and he's trying to come up with help some way. He's reached out, I think, for political help and support. And so that's where the next verse comes in, verse 13. I don't know if he texted King Agrippa or what he did, but somehow King Agrippa got the word and here he is. And after some days, King Agrippa (coughs) and Bernice, who's who's a real dandy, uh, came to Caesarea to greet Festus. So King Agrippa II was the last of the Herods. Uh, Rome had stripped his family of almost all of its political power, and Herod was just probably nothing more than a puppet or figurehead. And Bernice, history tells us, was one of the most beautiful gals in the land. She was a half-sister, and she was this king's mistress. She was a half-sister of the king and his mistress. She was also the sister of Drusilla, the wife of the past governor. And these two ladies were both members of, the, of Herod's family. Their great-grandfather, Herod the Great, was the Herod who be excuse me, who murdered countless children desperately trying to destroy Jesus because the wise men said, there's a new king coming. And he goes, well, I can take care of that. And he wipes out all these little children. His great uncle Herod was the one who beheaded John the Baptist and then ordered the execution of James the apostle and imprisoned Peter thinking, boy, the Jews really like that. I'll take Peter out now. And of course, if you know the account, the Lord just rescued Peter out of the prison miraculously. Well, this is quite the royal family that Paul's going to be dealing with here. Picture Bernice and King Agrippa. They were like the Hollywood couple of their day. So here we go. Verse 14. And when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king. Well, why were they hanging around there many days? It's, they were on the seacoast. It's the Mediterranean beach. This is the place to be. So uh, there's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix. He's a good politician. He's pointing the finger. Felix did this. I've inherited this sticky situation. It's a real problem. I need advice. Verse 15, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking, they want a judgment against him. And to them I answered, it's not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man, any Roman citizen, to destruction. See, he knows what's going on. He's no dummy. Before the accused meets the accuser face to face, has opportunity to answer for himself 
concerning the charge against him. Verse 17, Therefore, when they had come together without any delay, the next day I sat in judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers, verse 18, when they stood up, they brought no accusation. Like I thought, what? Come on. Against him. I didn't suppose this was why Paul was in prison at all. So Festus, he's complaining to King Agrippa. I heard the case. There was nothing about this guy that should put him in chains. And yet now I'm stuck holding the bag. It's a bad situation. If I release him, it's political suicide with, with the country I'm supposed to be governor over, Judea, with the Jews. If I, if I send Paul to Caesar without cause, it's political suicide. Caesar's going to think, well, you don't have any idea what you should be doing as governor. I'm in a jam here. So, here we go. Verse 19. And there's some serious questions against them. It was just about their own religion. About a certain Jesus. Don't you love how Jesus, how the Lord puts in situations and times when the name of Jesus has to be dealt with? I love this. So, Here's this Jesus, this certain Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth who had died. He died on the cross whom Paul affirms to be alive. Whoa! So there's the truth of the gospel right there spoken by this Roman governor. And because I was uncertain of such things, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. And when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Festus knew Caesar would think him incompetent if he sent him without any reason whatsoever. Roman commander's sworn statement. Do you remember what the Roman commander said in a letter to Felix? Paul is not deserving of death or chains. Acts 23:29. Festus is in tough, tough trouble. He's between a rock and a hard spot. So, verse 22. King has taken all this in, and then Agrippa said to Festus, Okay, I'd like to hear the man myself. I can just see him all puffed up. I'll be glad to help you. If anybody can find a charge against him that's good to send to Caesar, I'm your man. Thanks, says Festus. Thanks for helping me get out of this jam. Tomorrow, he said, You'll hear him. So verse 23. The next day, when Agrippa and Bernice, what a couple, had come with great pomp and entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus' command, Paul was brought in. I just want to kind of get a picture of what Paul's being brought into as we look at this auditorium. And this is the actual auditorium and place where this all took place in Caesarea. 
If you go on a tour to Israel, this is one of the highlights of the tour. The Roman amphitheater, it's magnificent. It's located on the beach. 3,000 or more spectators can be in the amphitheater and it's built in such a way that the, the one who's speaking can be heard throughout the whole auditorium. It's the focal point is a, this large, incredibly large marble stage. Down below the stage are holding rooms. Up above, I think about uh, seven, nine rows up, there's this platform for the dignitaries, the box seats. Today you can sit where Festus and Agrippa and Bernice and everyone else heard Paul. Paul's going to be on stage. Imagine this stadium packed to the gills. Everybody who was anybody in Caesarea was there. Roman officials, Jewish aristocrats from Jerusalem, the leading dignitaries, the last to be seated finally when everybody was there and the crowd hushed. And Governor Felix, followed by King Agrippa and Bernice, with great pomp and circumstance, enter. Oh, isn't this something? The Hollywood couple is there. I picture them prancing into the amphitheater. Imagine the red carpet of the Oscars. They strutted like peacocks. Weren't they something? Finally, out of the dark, they bring in chains Paul thrust into the sunshine on this big stage. He's facing this amphitheater full of dignitaries, hostile crowd. There's some jeers. There's some sneers. You barely see from the dark into the bright sunlight. Remember the physical description that tradition gives us of Paul? Bald-headed, bow-legged, hunched back, runny eyes, crooked nose, Barely five feet tall on his tiptoes, Paul appeared weak, fragile, small. Compare him with the well-dressed dignitaries, Hollywood couple of their day that are filling this amphitheater. Roman governor Festus, King Agrippa, royal dignitary Bernice, what a show. Humble contrast, here stands Paul. This is what I love about the Lord. Look at your notes, number five. It's amazing what the Lord can do with little. When Paul thought he was big, something, his name was Saul. After he met Jesus, he ended up changing his name to Paul, which means little or humble as he stood before Jesus. And Jonathan, I thought of this in 1 Samuel 14.6, standing before an enemy that was so much greater than, than Israel at that time. He says to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether there's many or whether there's just you and me. If this is what the Lord wants, no matter how little we are, Whoa, we need to be following the Lord. Well, here's Paul, and that's where he was coming from. 
When you think of Bethlehem and a little, it's a little insignificant village and place in an insignificant country, but it's the most well-known village on earth now. Why? Because that's where Jesus was born. And more visitors there than maybe anywhere else on this planet. And where Jesus is, things happen in a big way. And guess who's standing with Paul on that marble stage? Jesus himself. So that's the scene. Look at verse 24. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this little man? about the whole assembly of the Jews, he's causing an uproar with the whole nation at Jerusalem and here, crying out he was not fit to live any longer. Verse 25, But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, so here Festus, the governor, is saying he's innocent. He's admitting. And that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. I have nothing certain to write to my Lord, the Caesar, concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa. I'm really counting on you to help give me some political help here. And so after examination has taken place, after we've gone through this, you can help me. We'll find something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify any charges against him. Duh. <laughs> so Festus, he goes, Oh, King Agrippa, help me to get Agrippa on this situation. I need your help. I mean, that's basically what's happening. It's political suicide. Paul's appeal to Caesar. I'm in really hot water. And look at this Roman amphitheater in your notes, verse 6. It's on the beach at Caesarea. It would become, think about this. I love what the Lord is doing here. This is crazy. This would be the first stadium in world history to host an evangelistic crusade for Jesus. Think about that. Because that's what's going to happen. Now, there's not going to be any music, unfortunately. But, there stands Paul. Isn't it amazing how the Lord works? Isn't it amazing that he takes what men mean for evil and he literally turns it completely around and he causes it to work for eternal good? Romans 8.28, For we know and can count on and stand on with by faith that in all things God works for good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Worship team, come on up. So here stands this one little guy, Paul. Bow-legged, bald-headed, short, but he's not alone. Jesus is standing there with him. And where Jesus is, things happen in a big way. Next week. Okay. 
Stand with me, and we'll close our service. Lord, as we think of what Paul is standing up against, in his flesh he must have just been, what am I doing here? But in his heart, he's going, wow, I can't believe the opportunity that you've given me. And he begins to give his defense. But it's not about him. For he takes every word and he just shares about you, Jesus. What an example for us. In our dual citizenship, in this world that you have put us in, to take every opportunity just to share your love, the hope and the future that you give like Paul's going to do as we look at this next Sunday. Thank you for Paul's example. May it encourage us to be men and women, boys and girls, that walk by faith in this world that you have put us in, this place, this community, right here, right now. Amen. Let's close our service. it abruptly I love that song so what the enemy means for evil isn't our God something else how awesome is our Savior Jesus so this coach really wants you to get out there and live for him with everything you got get the training you need practice whatever it takes Be Jesus, man or woman, in this world where he's put you. And pray. So we don't battle against, you know, flesh and blood. We're battling against demonic forces that are all around us. But whatever the enemy tries to do, what is our God big enough to do? And here we are. How exciting it is to be a Christian in the world that we live in today, the place that he's put us, go for it. And there will be someone up front to pray with you if you have want some prayer and have some needs. And love you. Have a great day. Go for it. Amen.